Okay. You ready to start? Go ahead. Okay. Recording. You read the governor's order of March 12th, 2020, which suspends certain provisions of the open meeting law, general laws, chapter 30A, section 18, and the governor's March 15th, 2020 order, this is a year ago, imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place. So this meeting of the City of Medford Energy and Environment Committee is being conducted via remote participation. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings as provided for in the order. Persons who would like to listen to or view this meeting while in progress may do so by accessing the link that was included on the meeting agenda posted on the City of Medford website. If, despite our best efforts, we are not able to provide for real-time access, we will post a record of this meeting on the city's website in the near future at the link provided in the meeting agenda. Okay, so we've got a quorum. The uh, members of the committee with a new member of Chris Hogan is, who has broken the tie and a chief quorum. Congratulations, Chris. That's why we, uh, we like to add members that are uh, attending. So uh, Bob Payne, uh, co-chair Luke, McNeely, another co-chair, was not able to attend. Barry Ingberg was not able to attend. Loretta James was not able to attend, but we have Kathleen McKenna, Nicole Morell for a, a while. Um, John Rogers, we're still not sure he'll attend, but Dave Hampton could not attend. Martha is attending, and Jessica's attending. And let's see. Quickly, uh, I, I would like to hear about from the guests just to introduce yourself briefly your interest, et cetera. So let's start with Gaston. Yeah, hi, um, nice to meet you all, I'm Gaston. Um, I'm a resident of Medford since 2019, so I moved here uh, almost two years ago. I'm an engineer by training, but I'm deeply interested in the environment. And um, I would like to um, collaborate with the, with the group uh, as much as I can um, to sort of move Medford forward in uh, sustainability. Thank you. Uh, Fran? It's actually Benji. Um, that's just oh, my wife. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's um, Francis and there's Francis. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm Benji Hiller. I've been a resident for 40 years now. Um, and uh, I'm an almost retired lawyer. I uh, did uh, toxic tort, uh, toxic tort litigation and represented a lot of lead poisoned children in my practice. Um, I've been interested in environmental issues for a very long time. And I think I'm about to be a member. I, I think I finally filed the piece of paper that the mayor required. I'm assuming she will act on my application or my appointment, um, hopefully by the next meeting. Oh, we look forward to that. <laughs> and Sue Brown, I think you've been down the uh, meetings before. Um, if you want, you can unmute yourself and briefly introduce yourself. If not, that's fine too. Um, let's go on then. Um, we've done the greetings. Uh, okay. Uh, we usually review the minutes of the previous meeting early in the meeting. And I sent those out earlier, you know, a few days ago. Does anyone have any um, suggested edits? or comments on the meeting minutes for March 1st. 
If not, I will entertain a motion to accept the minutes as posted or as- So moved. I'll second that. I will do a quick roll call of the members that are present. Bob Payne, I, I accept, uh, I'll say yes. Uh, let's see, Kathleen, do you accept the minutes? Okay, I think that was a yes. Uh, Nicole? Yes. All right, uh, Martha? Yes. Jessica? Yes. And Chris, I can't say, uh, I can't call on you because you weren't present, so you, you have no idea whether you accept the minutes. But of those uh, present, we uh, unanimous accept, acceptance, so we'll file those as, uh, as final. All right, Alicia, we are now to administrative updates, including committee membership uh, changes. Yes, so I'm um, welcome to Chris, who is a new member. Um, we have to remember to get Chris onto. So Bob frequently emails people, everybody directly. We also have an email list, but we've been having issues with it where certain when some people email it, it bounces from like three quarters of the people who are on the list and then increments their spam counters in the system. And so it's been a problem. So I need to figure out a different way to deal with the um, membership list rather than saying, I'll add you to the list. It may be that we're going to get rid of the list and figure out some other way um, to, to deal with that. Um, we have some other applications. The mayor sent me a handful that came in um, for us, for me to look at and give her some input in. Um, so we should be going through that. I'll be going through that with the chairs in the next, hopefully this week. Definitely, Bob, if I don't reach out to you, nag me this week about it. Um, and we should take a look and make some recommendations to the mayor. Um, we are also advertising for interns for my office. I posted in a bunch of places. I'm happy to send it to this group as well. Um, we're looking for student interns. Um, we typically hire undergraduate and graduate students. My hope is to hire one, um, one to two undergraduates, one of whom would manage the energy festival, which I am hopeful, but nobody's willing to make any commitments about any kinds of large events yet at this time. Um, but this is the time of year we normally would start that process. Um, and then a couple of preferably graduate students to work in economic development and housing and general planning as well. Um, so I've gotten a bunch, a good number of applications in um, but that's being circulated right now. And I'm hoping to start interviewing students in the next week or two as some of our students are graduating and getting permanent jobs and moving on, um, as is Nana, actually. So just looking for, Nana, what, do you, what are you looking for and where? Do you want to share that with us? In terms of jobs? Yeah. So that is on pause right now. My first goal is to go back home to India after a very long stretch and then figure out what I'm going to do, but probably in a, like environmental consulting. And I want to explore data science and some boot camp for that. Nice. So good luck with that. For, for the short while, Nana is still helping us out, um, but she is graduating with her degree from her master's from Fletcher at Tufts this spring. So. 
Uh, I always like, I mean, one of the benefits of working here is that I can help you meet people. <laughs> Even if I can't hire everybody I'd like to hire. So, um, I'm trying to think if there are any other um, updates from the office that are helpful. Um, the other one, there are a couple of things that are going on in the city that are helpful. There is a com community conversation on race um, in Medford is occurring Wednesday evening. I'm happy to send that um, information around again. The library has a green campaign to raise money for the library that Ken Krauss is chairing and leading. If you haven't gotten a copy of Ken's message about that, I'd be happy to forward that along to you or um, uh, suggest that to him. And there is an on-site meeting for the labyrinth. You guys might be aware that one of the um, contaminated areas in Riverbend Park is extremely high levels of lead, and we have to put a cap on it. We can't um, remediate it. It's it's just too high level, so it's cost prohibitive. Um, so the creative idea is in putting a cap, which is concrete or asphalt, um, to put a labyrinth on it to be a quiet meditative space. And so we're doing a walkthrough of that on Thursday at four. And the mayor is also still looking for people to apply for the comprehensive plan committee. That is, those applications are open through February, February, oh my God, April 8th, um, at which point we'll then, then sort of go through them and um, make recommendations on comprehensive plan um, membership. But that is still open as well right now. Uh, any questions about any of that? Great. Well, Alicia, when is the library supposed to be completed in terms of its construction? Um, I, I am not positive if it is slated to open in September or October. I knew we had been shooting for an opening of September, but I feel like I saw October um, in the latest meeting minutes. Um, but, but this fall. Is probably okay. a very safe statement. Right. Well, timely. Hopefully, we'll get past COVID by then. We'll see. All right. Um, we can do now um, discussion on event planning. Uh, you mentioned the Harvest Energy Festival, which I think we have penciled in October 17th, will hopefully occur. And if it does, um, you will have an intern working on it, I guess. Um, we, uh, we have in the past had a, had a Green Awards campaign um, you know, and, 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 and program, and we haven't decided. You know, last year, we didn't have the festival. Well, we were going to have the festivals as a walkthrough but we did not do the green awards due to COVID and the fact that we we want, might want to reinvent the green awards program. And so the question should be, should we reinvent or revive the green awards program? Would be a question for discussion. Uh, now, many of you may remember what that's about having, if you've been on the committee for at least a couple of years, 
you went to and you went to the Harvest Trinity Festival in 2019 or 2018, etc. cetera, uh, we have a, a nomination application form. And basically um, it's a matter of having something that you've done on behalf of the environment in, in Medford, uh, there's a several criteria and I could pass that around. But basically uh, the form gets filled out by the applicant or somebody on behalf of the applicant. And then we as the committee or a subcommittee will review the applications and decide which um, you know, the applicants will be um, recognized with this award. We have been having um, some trouble in recent years getting a lot of applications. Basically, some of the obvious ones were uh, awarded, I think it was back in 2012 was the first group. So the uh, obviously the, uh, the low-hanging fruit were plucked first, and now we are digging for more uh, you know, worthy candidates after, because you usually get it once, like you get a medal of honor once in your life, you know, uh, usually you don't get it again. So we've, we've awarded the green awards to the uh, easy candidates and, and we've been having trouble finding additional ones every year. So I don't know, Alicia, if you have any comments or thoughts on this program or whether the mayor has any thoughts, maybe not yet. I would like to hear what the community has to say, but I just do want to sort of not, there are a lot of people who haven't, don't have the longevity with this that Bob, that you and I have. Um, I, early in the pro in the years when we were doing the green awards, we were giving out 15 awards a year, like 18. And so it's not that there aren't a lot of people and buildings and organizations doing green things, but we've actually, in the number of years we've been running it, given out so many awards that we have sort of cycled through um, the companies and organizations that we have close awareness of. And our experience has been that it is pretty rare that an organization or person, company will self-nominate almost all of the nominations have come from somebody on the committee soliciting the nomination. And it's hard to nominate someone else because you'll say, well, I know this business does green things, but I don't know everything. Um, one example is BJ's. They're actually, I was there. I heard their announcements on their loudspeaker of all the things they had done to go green. And I went and I found the manager and I said, we have this green awards program for the city and you've done all these things. Can I, can I have somebody bring you or send you a form that you can fill out? Cause I think you'd be a great candidate. Mm -hmm. And they did. And they were happy. And the manager came to the, the thing. And if you go into BJ's on the wall and BJ's is the green awards plaque. This is the, the way things tend to be because I don't actually know all the information to fill it out on their behalf. Um, it's occasionally there has been a, like a, a, cell, a resident or an organization that's doing something that we are intimately familiar with and we're able to do it on their behalf. But generally, we need them to, to partner with us in filling it out. And they tend to not occur to them to do it themselves. So that's kind of the difficulty that we've run into. Um, 
And I put that out to the committee to, to think about what their thoughts are. I think by the next meeting, I will have sent everyone uh, the entire history of all the awards so you can get an idea of what that has amounted to and maybe solicit uh, some thoughts about should we continue this program, especially since we have like several members absent. I think we're going to tee it up for next month's uh, meeting to try to come to a grips on whether to continue it or to change it. I'll send out the nomination form so you can see what that looks like. So we'll, uh, we'll have a more extended discussion, I think, next month. But I wanted to bring up the thought that start thinking about whether and how to, to continue this program. Because I think yeah. we have plenty of time. That reminds me of an administrative update that I should have given. Um, that is directly relevant to this because normally I would say you could go to the Go Green website and look at the Green Awards section to see all the years, all the different organizations that have gotten them before. But we've had a problem with it. It got corrupted. I've been in touch with the website hosts and they are working to, they said there was a, um, a virus in a theme that got downloaded on it and they are working to clean it up. I'm paying them a very small amount of money to do that rather than me doing it. They said I should probably hear by, from, back from them by tomorrow with it um, repaired. Uh, but that's why if you go there right now, it says the website is disabled. So when it's back up, you can go and see. Okay. All right. Well, what, now, uh, other than that event. Uh, I have I, a comment uh, about the. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, so, so sorry to interrupt. I, I'm not familiar with the Green Awards or TAM protocols, but I'm just going to throw this out there in case it's useful. So would it, would it help, for example, if the Green Awards are directed more towards, um, you know, for example, housing projects or commercial projects or something where the town is involved in, in, in approving uh, those projects or at least aware of what's going on because it has to go check, for example, that things are being done properly. And in that way, since there's a clear knowledge um, by people that, uh, in Medford what is going on, it will make it a little bit easier to be aware about what it, what, what kind of green stuff is, is being done. So then, you know, either the paper can be filled in by Medford directly or at least, um, you know, it makes easier the suggestion to the, to the construction project or whatever it is or the business about like, you know, maybe you should apply for this based on what you have done. Uh, just uh, a, a, go ahead. It's a really interesting idea. Um, in my role with the city, I have to sign off on all new construction. And I would say when I look at, so around energy things, um, they have to meet building code and our building inspectors inspect it. For single family, there is an objective rating of score of how energy efficient the building is. And I will tell you that most new construction is meeting that score, but not exceeding it by very much. Um, but the, the number for um, a stretch code community like Medford is, is pretty aggressive. Um, 
but they're not really blowing us away. And we haven't seen any net zero or passive house buildings or anything like that in the city. Um, for commercial buildings, they have to meet building code and our building inspectors, I would say are not trained to really look at things beyond what is code. Is Does this meet the standards? Yes or no? And not how much better than it is it. We probably have of like really large projects that go in front of the community development board and the zoning board and have site plan review one or two a year. And the ones that I've seen in the past few years have been fine, but not impressive, right? They're not doing something that you want to give them a gold star for. You want to say, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, but but it's, it is something we should be watching for. And I wonder if an award from the city, so what I've heard is that an award from the city wouldn't incentivize them to do better. Being allowed to build higher, wider, that would incentivize them to make it a greener building. Is that something we need to think about? Yeah, Alicia, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I think the library is an obvious one um, coming up that has you know, very high uh, sustainability rating. Um, but there are other, maybe I'd like to see us look a little more broadly at types of projects like the tree planting project, for example, or the adopt a storm drain project. I mean, I know, you know there are a number of things that have an environmental impact that maybe don't fall in the usual, you know, in the category of the usual suspects. So. We could think creatively, uh, maybe ask some of the staff, um, you know, some of the walkability projects, for example. I, I really think there's a lot going on that's worth recognition. And I really need you guys to be part of that because I have two things going on in that one, I have extremely high standards and I'm always like, it's not good enough, which isn't really fair. And the other is, I'm strongly involved in and I or my staff are managing a very large percentage of like some of these projects. Mm -hmm. And we, one of the things we've discussed is that we don't like staff, the city shouldn't get awards for projects. Like we shouldn't give ourselves awards, right? Like we could give DCR an award for the Clippership Connector, um, but we shouldn't give the Office of Energy and Environment Award for the Route 28 underpass. They might actually be equally deserving, but one is the city and it's our job, and the other is an outside agency. Um, so sort of sorting through that and managing that kind of conflict. Now, does it have to be a Medford resident organization or just somebody working in Medford? I mean, I'm I thinking, for example, of Food Link, which rescues food that would otherwise be thrown out, um, or Myra, you know, doing work on the river. I, I'm just wondering if there are organizations that are work in Medford, but they're more of a more of a regional nature. I think that's a question for the committee. Like, that's the kind of like. It's th this award program is the city. It, you, originally, it was the city and the Chamber of Commerce. The idea was to incentivize green businesses, but that doesn't mean it has to stay that way. It's really the committee that does it with 
jointly with the mayor. Um, so I think that this committee could make those recommendations on what the policies around it should be and what's appropriate. Um, there is- Are there, the, are there awards for um, like, whether it's students like our high school students or, or the different age groups and different kind of community level groups that are, you know, doing cleanups along the river or those sort of levels of activities to kind of encourage, you know, different age groups and different types of groups, not just businesses and organizations, but, you know, kind of playing off what Martha is saying, you know, um, we've, we've not the BJs and the developers, but also, you know, your middle schoolers, your elementary kids building a garden or something like that. We've definitely given it to high school students in the past. Um, You're in middle school I, or elementary. Um, I'll send out the list. You'll get an idea of, and we have given it to outside agencies, maybe one or two per year, such as Mr. River Watershed Association, or I think the city of Cambridge got one one year. Uh, the guy who did the um, Malden River cleanup, I forget his name, got an award. Uh, so there have been um, special outside um, recognition uh, awards, and you'll see some examples. So I'll send that out. I'll send out the nomination form that we currently have, and we can have a more in-depth discussion next month, and you can bring your ideas to the table at that time. Um, thanks for that good discussion. Uh, anything, any events, Alicia, before October that you know of that the committee would be involved in? We asked Jackie, um, who's our communications director, and Lisa, our, um, does events for the city, um, she, they did not have any sort of big ones like of the traditional tabling types that were on their radar um, that were planned. I think the door is not closed on that, but a lot of these things take a lot of time to prepare. So my understanding is that they're not planning. I don't want to speak out of turn. There's definitely nothing being planned for this spring that's big like that. I have been meeting with... Um, Lisa Coliani, she's the director of affairs, uh, public affairs for the city, community affairs, sorry. And um, the co one of the co-presidents of the CCSR, the high school club, around community cleanups. And they're looking to do a number of community cleanups this spring, particularly around Earth Day, perhaps spread out over the month of April. Um, they're looking to, they're trying to figure out how to sort of organize it so that there's not big crowds of people, but lots of people get engaged in doing community cleanup. Um, they're very interested in that. Um, some students through the CCSR are looking to roll out and adopt a street program, which is a bit more, less of a, a like long going, this is your street forever, but more of a encourage community cleanups in a more decentralized way and a more empowering people to take on their own areas. So they're looking at doing some of those in April. We've said we would, I've said that we, the, the office would help them. I would let you guys know um, if they move forward with that. Um, I know that uh, 
Ellie is interested in moving forward the styrofoam ban project, um, but there has been a lot of sensitivity about not pushing something on businesses that could be an added expense right now. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Ellie is one of the high school students who was working on this pre-pandemic and she also, full disclosure, happens to be my daughter. Um, and they, Nicole, did they take it to city council and city council voted yes. about, yes, sorry, Ellie's yelling at me across the room, about 15 months ago that yes, they would like to see an ordinance prepared around styrofoam ban. Um, but then the pandemic occurred and Ellie and I have not been pushing it at all out of respect to the businesses. Um, Nicole, do you know where that ended with the council? I'll have to check. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that once, you know, the plastic bag ban was like temporarily lifted, it was just not the <laughs> environment to get it advanced. And then the, the disposal utensils, the, what happened with that, it was clear that it's still not the time to advance it. So I will find out where that got sent right. to. I think, it, I think it was just went to a future committee, the whole. Right. Something that um, did occur to me is that when we did the plastic bag ban, the council voted, say, in give or take January one year, the staff started working in like July or August to draft an ordinance. And then it came back to the council, probably November or December. So it seems to me that it wouldn't hurt to have staff start to work on that again, in order that when the environment is correct, is that's better, that it would be ready to just go to council and it wouldn't be now that now it's a good time. And then um, it takes three or four more months to get it drafted. Um, so we could, Nicole, if you don't mind sort of finding out where it. Yeah, came. I'm looking it up. I'm looking in the Muni code docs right now. Not coming up for polystyrene or styrofoam. So I'll just have to, I'll just look manually through the, it was like January, February, really. Yeah. It was pre-pandemic and it was after you were on the council. So yeah, there's only, there only so many meetings. So, um, And I think that if, if it was in fact, as I think I remember referred to the city solicitor, then we could work behind the scenes to start to work on it again so that it would be, could be presented to the council in a few more months when people are a little more comfortable doing things that add burden. It's not a lot of burden, but it's styrofoam is less expensive than other kinds of containers that takeout restaurants would use. And we believe that that would be the biggest impact in Medford would be on the small restaurants. So I was trying to think, I feel like there are some, Ellie, are there other CCSR projects that the Energy Environment Committee would want to know about? The cleanups they told them. There's a restoration maybe happening. Restoration. Of a bridge over something, maybe Brookings Estate. Oh, they're, they're doing some work on the Brooks Estate. So a, another thing that might be helpful, I'll ask Ellie to put together a list of projects that are up and coming and stuff from the CCSR for the committee for May, or even perhaps to circulate via email before that. It suddenly occurred to me that this committee could potentially in the future partner with students to help them move their projects forward. 
And that would also be a good resource for them. So. Yeah, I actually second that. Um, on my application for the committee, I actually mentioned that, that we should be working with the high school students. I think there's a lot of potential there. So I, I would love to, to see something like that. Sure. Yeah, and the committee worked with the students who, ban who did the plastic bag ban um, and worked with them on that. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a list because the CCSR has been continued to be very active. I think everybody's aware it's the Center for Civic and Social Responsibility, C Center for Citizenship and Social Responsibility. And it was started at Medford High School, but it's also it's its own 501c3 now. And it's at all the Medford public schools. And it is has funding, seed funding from the Crystal Campbell Foundation and the Bloomberg Foundation. Um, so they're, they're pretty large and they do a lot. So. Um, I did find the date from when that was introduced. It was February 25th. Um, for whatever reason, <laughs> that Municode doc, it says it's not, it's like currently being processed. So I'll, I'll just ask the clerk for a copy somehow that specific one is, that, which explains why it wasn't coming up for polystyrene or styrofoam. So I'll find, I'll find out where it went. <laughs> He was probably working on those minutes when we shut down City Hall. Oh, yeah, it might be. Yeah. Okay. I'll find out. Yeah. I have to say, I took food out from uh, Tenoch the other night, and they've switched from styrofoam to uh, foil containers. And it'd be interesting to know why. Um, so the students have been doing a a promotion to get rid of plastic silverware. And I wonder if that got through to them. But that well, they be... still had plastic silverware. <laughs> but what, what they're actually pushing is that restaurants should ask you if you want plastic silverware and not give it by default. That's what they're pushing. And it was Nicole's idea. And Nicole and the students have been working on it. So. You're getting ran with it, yeah. Nicole, my daughter, has plenty of free time right now. She broke her arm last week. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Feel okay. free to tell her about that. Okay. <laughs> Nicole, while you're here, do you have any uh, input from the city council that we ought to be aware of as a committee? Um. I do not. I have just had um, a few people reach out um, just about trees specifically again, and I've just reminded um, – people that the, I can't remember if it was this meeting or the tree, no, I, what, but yes, the, the tree ordinance, um, the original tree ordinance that was submitted in 2019 still remains um, in the ordinance, no, in zoning subcommittee. Um, Councilor Falco actually chairs that one. So if people have interest in seeing that be taken up again, um, he can call that meeting. So just a reminder, that's who to reach out to. Um, generally, I, I've reached out to him, but um, hearing from a lot of constituents is often much better than hearing from a fellow counselor about something. So if um, just because people have been emailing me about that, just because as people clean up or realize what trees are, are, are dead or not dead, stuff's coming down and it's pretty upsetting. So if people want to see movement on that, that's where that, that paper is. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else um, environmental or climate related we've seen recently. Um, I am looking to also for um, the environmental affairs subcommittee to hold a meeting um for the proposed to to study leaf blowers in the city um you know to talk about talk with people who use them from the city and people who might use them through the landscaping companies that hasn't been scheduled yet 
um, but that was introduced last month um, and it got, we voted to send it to the Environmental Affairs Committee. So that's a meeting that will come up um, when I can get it scheduled if people are interested in that as well. Thank you. Uh, all right, uh, I think we're done with events since we don't have anything specific. We, there might be some several fall events like we, there might be Mystic River Art Festival, Tufts might have their, you know, community day. We'll see what happens in the fall. But it probably won't be a circle the square that you know of, Alicia, right? Uh, no. Don't think so. Okay. All right. Let's go on then. I'm going to do some presentations on some new interesting developments. So I'm going to try to share my screen on first. Um, the Tufts Environmental Conference that happened uh, in March. So let's see if I can figure it out. All right, now, can hopefully you can see, I'm gonna to try to do this from the beginning. Hopefully you can see this presentation. I, I, I saw some of it, I've then been looking at recordings. It only cost $5 for me to register, so that was pretty cheap. Cheapest I've ever had for any conference, unless it was free. Um, so this conference occurred March 11th through 13th, and the basic agenda was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, and I'm going to go through each, briefly through each of the nine sessions that had um, presentations. Some of them were just networking and discussion or energy showcases. So let's go through these sequentially. Um, going nuclear. Okay. Uh, the issue there was um, since it's a... You know, it, it's technology that can produce electricity without burning fossil fuel. What's the future of nuclear energy? And some takeaways are that, as I just noted, it's an alternative. It, it's, it's, it can be dispatched. That means you don't have to worry about, is it going to be sunny or windy? You can control the electricity. And that's the big issue. Now there's new technology, molten salt reactor. Sorry, Bob, Bob, we're not seeing your presentation. We're seeing your list of files. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's try try this again. All right, hold on. Stop sharing. Let me try again. Stop sharing and share again. All right. Uh, maybe I need to. Okay, let's do this. All right. That might work better. Yes. And then let's go from the beginning. Okay. All right, let's go back. Can you yeah. see? Now it looks like a presentation. All right, sorry. Uh, this was just the, uh, this page was the list of all the sessions. If you just Google on TEC 2021, you'll find this. The first one, uh, some of the points on the nuclear future were that there's new uh, technology, molten salt reactors are inherently safe. They can't melt down or leak. In fact, they don't even need a containment building. And they can even use, uh, some of these reactors can use nuclear waste already produced as fuel. 
so they can actually use up the waste that we've been generating over the decades before. So that sounds good. Uh, and they produce very little nuclear waste. Um, they can be made, you know, 120 megawatts are sort of like a, a fairly small unit, but they can be made sort of like almost in factories. They can be mass produced and plopped down. Uh, they don't have to be built from stick built from scratch. Uh, they also have the uh, capability, unlike current you know, old-style nuclear reactors, that have to be uh, left on, basically. They can't wrap up and down, but these are good for that. So they can augment the ups and downs of renewable energy. So there's some interest in, uh, especially if we electrify a lot of things and we need more electricity, and the battery storage is not... Uh, you know, the battery storage capabilities you need for renewable energy to fill in the, the valleys is not there, then this is an option for um, non-fossil fuel powered, uh, but, but much safer and possibly being able to use old nuclear waste and get rid of that problem. So that's, that was an interesting session. I, I don't want to have this degenerate into an argument about nuclear power on which I have very strong feelings, but I would point out that the fuel cycle is still the fuel cycle and waste disposal is still waste disposal. And this is the same industry that told us that nuclear power would be too cheap to meter. I, I understand. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is just a presentation I'm just giving you. <laughs> Everybody has buttons that can be pushed. That's one of mine. So. Uh, well, thank you, Veggie. Okay. <laughs> Offshore, um, there was a session on offshore wind, which is supposed to ramp up considerably, especially for Massachusetts. And of course, uh, I think the current Biden administration, um, but they focused on the New England region. And it was interesting that, um, I'm gonna go over some of the high points here, whoops. That the regulatory climate was gonna be much more favorable, but there's, there, there needs to be ports that supply the, uh, the, the, the maintenance services. And one example of discussion was, okay, we have a coal-fired Salem power plant that is now, they used to get coal via barge and they have a dock and they have a nice port facility, but then people want to develop condos there. So are we losing our port accesses to other, other things that are, they're hoping to, save this particular possibility, but there's, um, there is a bottleneck for uh, port facilities that can service all these offshore wind facilities. It could be a huge economic engine for coastal states. So that was an interesting session. Uh, solar energy and inequality, Barry's favorite uh, topic. Um, basically, um, we, we want to, promote solar energy, but are there inequities in how that's being done and how can we um, address those? I think the, as I'm going to go into the next thing, the, the Massachusetts climate bill, I think there's some issues to try to address this. Basically, the industry is providing economic opportunities, but you know, the benefits are not distributed fairly across races and income levels. Uh, a lot of the, it turns out that happenstance, uh, a lot of white and affluent, affluent communities are getting most of the jobs and most of the 
clear and financial benefits of having solars on their homes. And uh, a lot of you know, sales companies have generally not been uh, as aggressive in trying to sell to neighborhoods with um, minorities. So they're not as likely to have rooftop solar. Um, now the government needs to take a leading role basically to make sure that these uh, inequities are, are uh, rectified. So that was basically the issue that there have been, as, as this has developed, there have been inequalities and that's been recognized. So that was another uh, part of this conference. Now, electrical and hydrogen energy. There's two ways to power a car that doesn't require gasoline. Uh, one is basically a battery, and then the fuel cell, which uses hydrogen, creates electricity, but it, it it's powered by hydrogen. So, what are the issues there? There, there are advantages and disadvantages for either. Uh, the, the hydrogen cars, you only take, it's like filling up your car with gasoline. It only takes five to 10 minutes to refuel. You have a range of about 300 miles, maybe. Electric cars maybe have a less of a range unless you have a Tesla. They could take hours to recharge. So, um, unless you have like a Tesla fast charging thing. But try to find a hydrogen refueling station. I think outside of California, there are two, one in Connecticut and one in Hawaii. So the one in Hawaii is going to help you. Um, and the one in Connecticut is only going to help you in Connecticut. So in Massachusetts, there is no publicly available hydrogen refueling station at all, uh, even though it only takes five to 10 minutes to refuel. Um, and it has a longer range. Uh, the other problem with hydrogen production is it currently uses re reformed natural gas. So it's not climate friendly, but there could be uh, advances to rectify that. But right now we've got thousands of electrical refueling stations, you know, recharging stations. So that's going to continue to advance. The issue with the electric battery, electric car uh, uh, battery usage is the recycling of the batteries in the end are our challenge. The uh, range of the challenge and the time to recharge is a challenge. And so those are issues that have to be uh, improved on electric cars to make them, I think, more amenable to the public. Okay, onward. EU green policy, uh, there was a guest from the European, you know, the uh, European Union and how, how they're dealing with uh, environmental justice and, and uh, green energy over there. They basically, um, they, they've noted that energy prices for renewable have fallen to be competitive with fossil fuel power. And uh, there, there are needing, you know, the changes that are needed are large and governments are, are, are basically needing to pass regulations to establish a path to the net zero greenhouse gas emissions. It's basically uh, very similar to, I think what Massachusetts has done. They're trying to uh, electrify their mobile fleet and um, their, their policies are similar to what we're seeing and what I'm gonna present on the next two uh, presentations on the Massachusetts 
climate change bill and the USA infrastructure bill. So, but I think Europe, Europe has been out ahead of, of the United States for sure. And especially they have a lot more wind energy um, and solar, especially in Germany. Uh, they've been far, far out ahead. A lot of uh, use of bicycles and, and, and um, other ways to get around. Hydropower. Hydropower is an old, the oldest basically type of non-fossil fuel energy for electricity, but um, there are a lot of issues because you have to basically dam a river to create uh, a backup of water that, that powers the, the, the turbines and that creates societal and environmental damages. And there are fewer and fewer good places to do more of these types of facilities. Um, so probably we'll keep what we have. Uh, I think it, it accounts for less than 10% of all the electrical generation, but it's, it's there. Uh, and you can also use hydropower for energy storage by pumping water up to do towers or whatever uphill. And then, uh, because that create, you know, gra the, gra the gravity will uh, be used as a, a storage uh, uh, route. And then you can then reclaim the energy uh, later on when you need it um, to turn uh, turbines uh, from the pumped uh, water. There can also be some optimization of existing hydropower facilities to increase their efficiency, but not a big future for growth in this area. China, what is China doing? China has announced a 2060 um, goal to go net carbon neutral. Um, they account for almost 30% of the world's CO2 emissions and more than half of the world's coal use and half of the coal-fired power plants. But uh, by 2050, they expect to have uh, you know 85% of all energy and 90% of electricity to come from non-fossil fuel sources. So that's going to be a huge um, transformation. And they're going to have to then ramp up for sure their solar power and their wind and nuclear. They're going to go nuclear as well, I, I suspect, due to the fact that they've, they've got a lot of uh, dispatching issues and a lot of people. So I think they're going to adopt nuclear to uh, augment wind and solar. They also have an interesting uh, strategy to, you can, you can have plants can be planted to, that, that obviously suck up at CO2. Then you can actually harvest and when you're burning them, extract the energy and the CO2. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's a possible, it's a bio, uh, fuels type of strategy that's being thought about. Human cost of clean energy, this is like a uh, sort of like a, another point of view. Is there a, a, a human cost? Uh, and the one issue is that there are costs, going to renewables requires a dramatic increase in the extraction of metals and rare earth minerals which have ecological and societal costs. Um, so there's the issue of, of where is this stuff gonna come from? And, and is there some um, uh, you know, uh, 
areas of the world where this comes from that, that are not being managed well. There's also, of course, people in the fossil fuel sector are going, you know, miners and, and operators are going to be displaced. And this has happened in the past because, you know, what about the horse and buggy people? What do they do? They had to transition to cars. There's also the issue of, well, if it costs a lot to do this, what are poor, poor countries going to do, especially countries that don't have a lot of solar and wind resources? There might be uh, such countries. What do you do then? You go nuclear, maybe? So there's, it's not uh, all, all around the world, it's not um, equal in terms of access to the capital required to transition. And there's also the issue of where the material is going to come from and are there going to be inequities. Obviously, there are going to be environmental benefits, but we have to watch out how this is done. The last session, uh, private and public perspectives on the roadmap to 2050, basically, there's going to be substantial, we have to have substantial technical developments to even get to uh, net, uh, you know, net zero uh, CO2 emissions. There's, we don't have yet this battery storage capabilities uh, to uh, make it uh, as good, you know, as easy as just gassing up your car. So governments will need to lead the way. Uh, there are massive investments needed, R&D needed. Um, there's resistance to change. You can just imagine the, the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, there's there, but you know, there's a lot of people that say, I don't want it, I don't need it. There's poor countries that would like to have it, but they have to wait their turn because they don't have the money to, to buy it. So if we have uh, a way to get to um, clean energy, it's, not gonna be, it's gonna be a bumpy road in some areas. It takes a lot of money. It takes acceptance. Uh, it will need international cooperation. There's one bullet I had. Um, I may have left it out that a lot of the rare earth minerals and metals needed for some of the um, solar and wind are controlled by China, like 95%. So that's another problem. Uh, China not only has... Uh, big clout, but it it has a monopoly on a lot of the um, special materials needed for solar panels. So is that going to be a problem? Feedback received from this conference is that the attendees would have liked to have seen more workshops and opportunities, but what are you going to do for a virtual conference? Um, they would like more representation from big tech companies, but they're Overall, pleased with how it ran online and looking forward to maybe a, an in-person conference next year. Okay, uh, so that's basically my uh, summary of the that conference. And if anyone wants to actually review, you know, pay the $5 and review, maybe you don't have to, have to pay it, you can contact me and I can keep, get you in touch with, uh, or you can contact Sam Glazer, who is our representative who was not able to attend tonight because he's now, uh, he was a contact tracer. He might've been in contact with someone with COVID and he has two big exams. So Sam was not able to join tonight.
All right, I'm going to go on. Let's see. I'm going to share another. Let's go on now to the Massachusetts Climate Bill. Find that. All right. Uh, so what I have to do, I'm bring this up here. So let's see. Now I'm going to stop, stop sharing. So all you're seeing is my list of files. Uh, I don't know if that worked. Show all windows. Maybe it's all here. Hold on, let's see. Oh dear, let's see. Uh, oh, this is it, I guess. Okay. Big news that uh, the governor really had to sign the bill or he would have had his veto overridden. Um, let's see. So, um, it was signed uh, Friday, March 26th. It's, a, it's really, uh, I think, unique among the states, a far-reaching piece of legislation. And we have an aggressive timetable, specifies several specific policies, a massive increase in the procurement, of, for example, of offshore wind. And it, it also integrates environmental justice, which is gonna be uh, important. Um, emission targets have to be uh, set and met every five years. Um, and there's gonna be uh, numerical benchmarks for uh, several areas, adoption of electric vehicles, charging stations, solar technology, energy storage, heat pumps, digesters of the clean technology. And there's a, a legally binding greenhouse gas limit at net zero by 2050, which means you may be, you don't eliminate all the greenhouse gas emissions, but you, you basically make up the rest by trying to suck the CO2 out of the air with more trees or direct air capture and sequestration. It's going to be a, a it's going to be in 30 years, um, a very challenging but needed um, uh, program. Uh, and every 10 years from, I actually, by, by the way, it's, it's basically cutting from the 1990 levels and we've already gotten 25% reduction from 1990 to 2020. Now we've got to do the next 25% in 10 years and the next 25% in another 10 years, et cetera. So now we've got to triple the rate of cuts to greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, it turns out that the initial bill had uh, several emission sectors. They all didn't meet the target, but now you can sort of, as long as you average them all together and achieve the goal, that's okay. Um, they decided to eliminate the, uh, the ban on um, fossil fuel construction, that is eliminate any ban on um, natural gas. So a city cannot adopt a local ban on natural gas installations in this bill. Um, offshore wind development increased dramatically and a renewable energy portfolio standard increasing 3% over several years will ensure that at least 40% of the state's electric power will come from renewables in just 10 years. Um, 
So there's a lot of megawatts of offshore wind that are being planned. Uh, that's going to be a huge economic driver. Um, and uh, there's laying the groundwork for a lot more charging stations. Um, and more, and this is going to be interesting for the solar subcommittee. Uh, we're going to be watching what happens to community solar projects because there's going to be a, a different type of setup there. And um, making it easier for business or buildings to sell their excess energy back to the grid. And changes in the uh, solar mass renewable target program or SMART to make low income and minority communities a priority. So that was Barry's concern and this looks like it made it into the bill. Now, um, it's gonna be interesting for municipalities how uh, New and renovated buildings uh, must be in terms of climate friendly. Um, this is something I don't know a lot about, but the building subcommittee might. Um, and uh, so this is a matter of each city and town being able to uh, determine how they implement this stretch code. Um, more money for the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center uh, on uh, workforce development especially for minority-owned and women-owned small businesses, environmental justice communities, and fossil fuel workers. So that's good. Um, making it easier for utilities to experiment with innovative clean energy technologies, such as geothermal heat pumps, which is, I think, going to be a, a topic in the next hour. Um, now, the Department of Public Utilities has to add emissions reductions to its list of priorities, which has never been there before. Appliances will now have to be much more efficient. Um, and there'll be new incentives to install heat pumps for heating and cooling. So we'll, we'll be looking for what, how that's going to be ruled out, or I mean, how it's going to be uh, rolled out. Um, now, environmental justice will be uh, much more of a, of a priority in terms of um, new developments permits, et cetera, other projects that are being uh, proposed. And that's it for that uh, presentation. I have one more, and that's on the, the USA infrastructure. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with the uh, city of Medford and some of the things that it has to decide upon. Okay. I should do. Uh, on, let me uh, stop sharing for a moment. Um, last presentation and open it. All right, now let's see if I can find it here. Stop share, share screen again. 
always try to find where, where to find these things. Oh, here it is. Okay. Finally. Too many things open. Okay. Um, this, of course, is President Biden's America's Jobs Plan, involving $2 trillion in funding with targeted tax increases to fund it. Now, I would, I would think it would dovetail very well with a new state law if it passes on the climate change. Um, there's, uh, I, I've basically taken information from this USA Today link here, which I'll acknowledge. All right, $621 billion for transportation infrastructure. Um, a, lot, a lot spent on electric vehicles and 500,000 electric vehicle stations. So maybe the state doesn't have to pay a lot of money if the feds are going to pay for it. Um, and then a lot of bus fleet replacing, you know, diesel power, you know, powered buses. Um, and, you know, tax incentives and rebates. So I guess you should, you know, maybe wait for all these tax incentives to appear before you buy your next electric car, uh, maybe. Uh, a lot of uh, money for fixing roads and bridges. Um, I don't know if Medford is any um, of those. A lot more in modernizing transit systems and Amtrak repairs. This is like the split of that stuff. One, one thing I noted there was connecting neighborhoods historically cut off by investments such as, I think, by highways. I don't know if there's a highway cutoff pot of money for Medford, but something to think about. Um, because Medford was cut off by Route 93 in what, the 1960s or 1970s. And they, they took a lot of, uh, by eminent domain, they took a few things out. The city Hall survived, obviously, but not by much. Uh, so uh, infrastructure resiliency, so there's another set of money possibly for uh, Bedford. And of course, uh, charging stations. Quality of life at home, 650 billion. Uh, retrofitting, uh, I don't know, uh, you know which of these two million homes would be ones in, in Medford, um, but a lot of rehabilitation, um, clean drinking water, Replace of all lead pipes and service lines. Now that, I don't know if Medford has lead pipes, service lines, but to think about that. Um, modernizing public schools. Maybe we should wait on the high school before this, you know, see what, what this does for Medford there. And a lot of other miscellaneous things. Even, even plugging oil and gas wells and reclaiming abandoned mines. I don't know about gas leaks, but natural gas leaks. The split of money here is uh, the Clean Energy and Sustainability Accelerator, whatever that is, have to keep an eye on that. But certainly retrofitting homes, upgrading and building public schools and water infrastructure. I think those are issues that we want to keep an eye on if this ever passes. Caregivers for elderly people with disabilities, I didn't go into that too much, but that's 400 billion. Um, not a lot of environmental stuff here. 
uh, but some um, to to uh, basically uh, address this this segment of the uh, society. And finally, uh, research, development, and manufacturing. Um, some semiconductor manufacturing research, but new new research on clean energy. Certainly, we need research on on battery storage, and and and, and battery upgrades and recycling. Also for worker training and worker protection systems. So the split of money here. Rural manufacturing clean energy. Um, if there's um, certainly ways to to uh, support manufacturing in that regard. Technology addressing the climate crisis, 35 billion on the upper right. National Science Foundation for New Technology and supporting clean energy manufacturing. So there's a lot of good stuff here for environmental uh, benefits. And we'll have to see um, if this passes, how this dovetails with the state bill and how Medford can uh, benefit uh, in some of these areas. Okay, uh, I think we have actually done pretty well in getting to the next section then, which may be quick. But I think we want to dwell on the subcommittee reports on the um, building energy management. So I'm going to stop sharing and go on to the next part of the uh, conference. Unless you want to comment on any of these presentations, we have like five minutes to do that. Um, um, it's basically a matter of, uh, I don't know if Alicia, you've, you've even heard or heard anything about the Massachusetts climate bill discussed with the mayor or anything like that. I think it's a little premature. We're still waiting to see how things um, work out. I just sent, um, while you were talking, um, a thing to the committee uh, that was from the MAPC with their summary of it. Um, but we're still sort of waiting for, you know, first the state level, then they figure out how it impacts things and then how it's going to trickle down. So we'll be, it'll be probably a few more weeks before we get like, here are new programs coming, new things, new rules, like all the admin administrative branches of the state government have to figure out how does this impact the public and people and communities. Okay. We'll probably want an update from you uh, mm -hmm. periodically on how that's working out. Yeah, and I, by the way, same answer for the federal stuff. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, that isn't even, we don't know what the fate of that one is, but it would be nice. Uh, right. Well, we got, sorry, we got the um, the federal stimulus will be impacting yeah, that, that. the city. The city will be getting money for that. It's still being worked out exactly how that works. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go then to subcommittee reports. I'm going to fill in for Barry on promoting solar energy. And, and basically the issue is, now that the state is going to revamp the SMART program and how it invests in solar energy, I think we're going to wait and see where that comes out before you know, deciding where to go with solar energy. So I think we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna watch and, and see what happens now that this bill is passed. Um, 
So I'm going to pass the baton now to the tree and urban canopy management group. But Martha, you're the only one here that's on that committee. Subcommittee. Yeah, hi. Um, yes, the committee was not able to meet this month, so we don't have anything uh, new to report. Um, for the benefit of the new members, you know, we have the Building Energy Committee has a fairly long list of ideas about things we would like to do, um, largely collaborating with city staff on. Um, maybe getting a, um, a building energy uh, tracking system in place, such as Boston and some other cities have to track the energy use in major buildings, both commercial and public buildings. Um, and to uh, establish some kind of community education on the website and by other means to help homeowners and tenants save energy in their you know, in, in where they live, um, and also to work with commercial owners in, uh, in Medford. I, I apologize, I don't have the whole thing in front of me, but just to give you an overview of what this committee is interested in, that's where we're going. I, I should have uh, prefaced for, for Newman prospective members that last year we decided to um, start subcommittees to dig into so the critical areas for climate change, um, uh, you know, addressing the, you know, and mitigating climate change, being uh, promoting solar energy, and then we got into the issues of maybe some inequities of solar energy. And what we've decided there is now that the state has adopted an aggressive program to advance that, we're going to see where that comes out. The tree and urban canopy management came out of a a study on uh, how trees are maintained in Medford and, and not wanting developers to cut down the whole forest of trees without uh, you know, mitigating that or you know, basically it's because tree canopies in urban areas are critical to um, for shade and keep keeping um, the, the um, quality of air uh, uh, improved. And so there's, there's, there's a whole issue about how to maintain our urban canopy and not lose it to develop it. Uh, so that's where that subcommittee came from. The, uh, Martha mentioned the building energy management, which turns out that buildings are in Massachusetts are one of the largest sectors of, uh, aside from maybe transportation, which is another subcommittee, we, we, we wanted to go to, okay, what, where, where are we emitting a lot of the greenhouse gases and where can we actually um, make up for fossil fuel, electrical generation and that, and then of course, maintaining air quality. And, and so these subcommittees came to be to address those areas and, and building energy and transportation are the biggest sectors for greenhouse gas emissions in the state. So, um, uh, now there was a request to discuss, uh, I think, uh, Kathleen, you brought up the issue of heat pumps, which might be promoted by the new state climate bill initiative. But why don't you uh, talk about what you uh, wanted to discuss on heat pumps? 
think you're on mute. Oh. Kathleen, sometimes you can click the arrow next to the mute button and go into audio settings and select a different thing, or turn it off and on. Sometimes that'll jigger the, and then just keep try talking. We'll see if we hear you. Or you could call in. The other thing some people have done is log out and log back in. I've seen that fix a mic problem. You can try to you can try to log out and log back in, and we'll we'll get you as soon as you come back. Sorry, Bob, can I ask you a quick question about the canopy? Yes, sure. Yes. Yeah, so, um, have have you been examining um, you know what how to deal with the trees and the power lines that go overhead? Not only power lines, but cable and stuff like that. Um, I'm just curious. Thank you. I don't know. I'm not an, I'm not on that subcommittee. But how does Medford deal with trees and power lines. I guess it just prunes the trees as best it can, right? Right, but I mean... I, our, tree warden, I can, our tree warden works a lot with National Grid to identify where are lines, where are tree limbs that need to come down because trees of inappropriate size were planted on under um, tree under power lines. So then she works with them to see how can they prune it back for safety and for continuity of service rather than um, cutting down the whole tree. But for going forward, she started, so she's been our tree warden eight or 10 years. Um, and she is very careful about identifying species of trees and understanding what their natural heights are. And so now under tree lines, she would never plant anything other than something that is a naturally short tree and she'll work to plant trees on the other side of the street so they're not where tree lines are. So it's sort of like a both, right? Making sure the right tree for the right place is very careful about that. And she also is very knowledgeable about the roots so that we're not planting roots that are the kind that will disrupt sidewalks. We're not planting those next to sidewalks. However, we have a city full of trees that are too tall for the power lines and roots that disrupt sidewalks. So she just works with National Grid to deal with them as she can. Does that sort of get at what you're asking? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I was just, because just based on my observation, then usually trees get kind of destroyed. Um, uh, the ones that are below the, the power lines or cable lines. I was just wondering whether, you know, if, if the city is planting new trees, whether there's, uh, you know, something being done about that. So either putting the sidewalk in front where there's no power lines or, or something like that. And also, um, not to discuss right now, but I was wondering whether either the the state um, um, climate bill or the, the federal one has something related to putting those cables underground. Because at least uh, in Europe where I'm more familiar, um, you know, so usually in cities at least, like power lines go underground. Um, so I was just wondering, that's it, but not to discuss right now. And I can tell you, I don't know if there's anything in the climate bill on that. I have recently heard our city engineer say publicly that he has a strong preference for underground utility lines, um, but it's extraordinarily expensive to make it happen once they already exist and Medford's incredibly built out. So he does ask for it wherever possible, 
but it's it's pretty hard to get it added in a place like this. So a good yeah. example, if you're on Lawrence at Lawrence Road in Medford, Lawrence Ave, there are a whole lot of trees that look like this along power lines. That's a result of our tree warden protecting the trees and not letting them be cut down. People are upset about how they were butchered, but it was a case of the trees being interwoven with the power lines, which was not, not safe, being cut in a horribly ugly way or being completely cut down. Um, so. I, think yeah, I, I would add to that, um, Gaston, that um, where, we, where Medford is going to develop new land, there's a, quite a lot of new development planned in Medford. And I think part of the zoning process that this group could advocate for is to provide planting strips for street trees that are adequate both for avoiding utilities and for having a root system. You know, you all over Medford, you will also see trees that are just absolute, their root systems are absolutely squeezed in between the, uh, the road and the sidewalk and usually disrupting the sidewalk. And if we could prevent that going forward by having the zoning include adequate width or uh, planting strips between the walks and the, the curb. And I think a lot of the trees that have been planted, like the Bradford pears, are probably reaching their natural limit of age. So there is some replacement going on. Those, those trees that we all like with that blossom so nicely in the spring, the Bradford pears, they're, they're pretty vulnerable as they age. Let's see, Kathleen, did you come back? You're, you're on mute. Now try, see if we can hear you now. Uh, is it possible the earbuds you have plugged in that the mic's broken on them? It's not working. See? Now we, it's working. Now we can hear you. We can hear you. You can hear me? Yeah. Did you want to plug okay, in your earbuds? I was pressing. Um, no, I, I, I've been pressing the mute button on the phone and it's not working and it's not, I'm borrowing a computer and it's not working there either. It worked for something else today. Anyway, um, sorry to disrupt. Unfortunately, I only had like an hour to prepare, so I didn't do slides or anything, but, um, I looked up, I had a, a colleague that joined a new company for her called Abode or a Bodhi, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and they are like um, the Heat Smart program, which I actually don't know that much about either. I think you've brought it up, Alicia, um, and have been looking for volunteers for that. It's, the Heat Smart is through MassCEC, and it's like the solar program that we did a few years ago. Um, 
And I clicked on all the links that the colleague gave me. And unfortunately they were not that informative. Um, I, they have worked with the city of Cambridge already. Um, and they did not have any costs in there, but basically what the program is, um, is this company abode, abode, whatever I'll call them abode. Um, they vet heat pump installers. Um, they make sure they, you know, um, are well trained that they know how to size and do, um, heating and cooling loads, um, and that they're, you know, treating customers correctly. Um, so they get, I guess, a group, several of them. Um, and then abode also does education reach out to would be our city, um, about heat pumps. Um, and basically we, we all, we all are all, most of us are energy people. So we know there's a large carbon reduction, 40 to 60% going to heat pumps. That's probably if you do heating and cooling. Um, and in Cambridge, they also did a solar hot water program. Um, and I looked at that. Um, there's heat loans, 0% heat loans for up to $25,000 for seven years. Um, and there's also alternative energy certificates available. Um, that's only if you do heating and cooling and you have to have, you know, appropriate equipment that, um, you know, meets certain requirements. Um, there's also rebates that are available through MassSave and, you know, I'm sorry if you're all bored that you already know that, um, but it's $50 a ton for air conditioning and two fifty for, um, both heating and cooling. Um, and then I started to learn about the heat smart program and I didn't get that far. I know Melrose has done it, our neighbor. Um, and it sounds like, I don't know, Alicia, do you know about it? Is it only one heat pump company or is it several that do the installations with that? I'm not positive, but I think it's the same model as the Solarize program where it was just one. Um, I okay. also know that Arlington has done it. Okay. If you're interested in looking okay. a bit more, um, Ken Pruitt in Harvard, in Harvard in Arlington managed that. Can prove it. Okay. Did do you know? You know, I can go back and dig more. Apologize. I just thought their website would have more. Um, do you know a person in Cambridge that maybe you're the person that does your job over there that might um, be able to answer some of my questions? On they have so many people in Cambridge that it's okay. like I know a lot of them, but it's hard. Um, to figure out who's right. I actually know some of the staff at Abode um, that it might actually be easier to ask them who to talk to. Or Plus, Ken is like, Ken is the energy manager in Arlington. Um, he okay. has been talking it up with area um, uh, energy managers. So he's likely to know who else has been working on it. 
because he was interested in, in getting other communities engaged. Okay. I'm happy to connect um, you with him. Okay. I'm, I'm giving information and I would, I would help out if we did those programs, but I, I don't think I can lead one again <laughs> after the solar program. That was a lot of work, but I'm willing to definitely pitch in and bring information back to the group. Mm -hmm. um, do, do people have any interest in pursuing that? The people on the call, I know there's a few people missing. I sent an email out, I got no response. And the big thing is that we would need to uh, find a resident who is willing to volunteer with the program and spearhead it and organize it. That's one of the conditions of running the program. That for those of you who are new, that's why we haven't done this program or the Solarize program in several years is because it's so hard to identify somebody who's willing to put in that amount of time commitment. So I, I guess what I did look at the abode um, information and some of the other site related sites. And I guess what I don't see is what the payback is and some kind of evidence-based evaluation of why a homeowner would want to do this. So it's a very nice energy thing, but getting a certificate doesn't do that much for me as a homeowner. Um, I'm more concerned with, you know, with the seven-year loan be paid off by energy savings. And that's on a case-by-case -case basis. So like when I had my house evaluated for heat pumps, um, it's, if you have an, if it's, if you're getting close to needing to update your, your heating system, right, you're going to need a new boiler in the next few years, then it's starting to make sense. Well, you should look at this rather than just put in a new boiler. I have several friends who in Medford who have actually made that decision to go with heat pumps because it's, it's time to put something new in. Then there's, there is energy savings and there is payback. If you, at the time I had my house evaluated, which would have been more than five years ago, um, if we had been heating our house with um, oil, it would have had a payback that would have made sense. But because we actually had a highly efficient and natural mm -hmm. gas system, there, there was no payback. It would be completely altruism and no noticeable, like no meaning, not enough energy savings to pay for the to even consider paying for it. Um, and if you have central air and you're looking at replacing your central air system, there's payback. If you are considering adding central air, then this is a solid thing to consider instead of adding central air to your house. And we're actually seeing more and more new buildings being built with heat pumps. Um, Commercial apartment buildings, multifamily or single family? All of it. Yeah. All of it is seeing heat pumps are really the way to go. It's a way to electrify it. Um, the uh, library is going to have heat pumps. It'll have much smaller units, multiple units, rather than one large, big boiler plant. Um, we looked at it with the, um, the police station is a more complicated building, but with the library, it's heat pumps with the... Uh, I can never make the word, right word. I want to say VRF. 
but a variable frequency drive. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to guess. Um, so we are seeing them in new construction. It completely, it makes sense. Actually, six or seven years, in 2012, I toured, there was um, the building in Medford Square where uh, Borealis Yoga was mm -hmm. briefly. That building was renovated. And in 2012, every unit had individual heat pumps put in. Um, so we are seeing a lot more of that. Um, it's this whole retrofitting and finding the right time. And if you have waited until your system has failed, you're more likely to just throw in whatever you have and whatever you can get. And if, you've, if you're planning, that's really the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. um, part of the difference between the solar and this sort of conceptually for homeowners is that there's not an obvious payback for everybody. There is an obvious payback for people who are in the right place and have the right system. Well, thank you, Alicia. That's a wonderful explanation. And I don't see it on any of the websites that these people are offering. So. I wonder if it might be on Arlington's. I would say that a lot of my knowledge has come from with, yeah. with Ken around Ken from Arlington around um, various things. We're in a couple of different regional networks together. Mm -hmm. so. Thank you. So th these programs apply to uh, cooling only systems as well. Is that right? Um. They all of them do heating and cooling. Um, um, you can, so the reason for my question, you can buy models that do cooling only. And I think for a majority of the people in a town like Medford who might already have heating, um, the idea of adding cooling only um, through a program similar to Mass Save where you could do interest free, if I, if I heard correctly, sounds extremely attractive. And I think something that a lot of new homeowners especially could, you know, could get on board with even if their boiler is working okay. Right. And I don't know if the program does cooling only. I've actually only have heard it discussed around heating and cooling. Um, I honestly wasn't aware that they had ones only doing cooling because at that point, why not just do the system that does both? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like that's the systems that they offer. But, um, you know, for like I said, for a lot of folks who already have a bo an, an operable boiler, um, getting one that, uh, you know, they, they might use a window unit for cooling and then to be able to do that, do it with a heat pump, um, you know, I think is just, is really attractive. So, you know, heating would be a bonus, but not a requirement. One thing we have to be aware of is if there's going to be a lot of um, government money that provides rebates for these systems, uh, we might want to wait to see what the financial incentives are for we, uh, if I were, planning this, I would wait to see how I'm going to get money from the government <laughs> to get a, a heat pump system for doing it before then and kicking myself. Why didn't I wait? Because all these programs are going to give me money. So that's something to consider as well. Well, I think we should be ready to, to hop on it um, once that becomes a little more clarified as to what financial incentives are going to be offered by the state and maybe the federal government for some of these retrofits. And we'll be ready, I guess, when they're ready. By the way, uh, for those new members, uh, we have these five subcommittees, and you're welcome to throw your hat in the ring to join well, those that would be of interest to you. So um, let me know. Uh, 
Chris, about any of your um, desires to join any of these subcommittees. Yeah. Uh, building energy management uh, is something that uh, I figured you would. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about, um, and I, I'd be glad to participate in that subcommittee. Wheelhouse. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and that's, it's going to be an interesting uh, thing to see what, what incentives are provided, um, both by the state bill and possibly the federal bill if we get passed. Uh, on the next one, transportation management, we are certainly excited about the, um, the, the Massachusetts climate bill and, and we're going to see where that goes in terms of, in terms of incentives. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm uh, still worried a little bit about all electric cars. You know, obviously if you are not using your car for long range trips, um, it's probably an excellent alternative and there's going to be a lot of financial incentives. The, um, the issue with um, refuel, recharging um, and range is, is an issue if you're using it for long range trips. Uh, until the, the technology approves, improves. But there's going to be a, a lot more charging stations available anyway. But we'll, uh, we'll keep you updated on that as developments proceed. I don't know if, Martha, you had any other comments since you're the other member of that subcommittee. Um, yeah, I had just one thing. Um, the MAPC just completed a re an interesting report on... Um, traffic-related air pollution in Massachusetts and COVID and um, environmental justice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who, who is most exposed to, you know, three guesses which groups are most exposed to air pollution from roads. Um, and they, it was interesting to me because it showed that Medford is in the, much of Medford is in the top quintile of air pollution uh, from roads. And um, I don't want to get into it now because I unfortunately have to leave this meeting very soon, but um, I'll distribute the link for that report. I think it's something our transportation committee want, might want to talk about. Great. I've been trying to contact the MAPC to see if they have any presentations to offer. They have been not responding to me, but I'm going to keep trying. And so that leads to the energy educational forums where we, we try to get one other we have one other thing on um transportation oh, amanda do you want to just share the update that you had that you got from the office sorry nana had to leave and amanda who also works with our office very quietly subbed in to keep working oh, on sorry, these hi amanda oh um yes so uh it's been confirmed that there will be installation of several new bus shelters, um, one in Medford Square opposite of River Street and one in Haynes Square, um, Grant Ave inbound towards Medford. And these will have solar panels that will power the lights. Um, and I think, you know, uh, or no, that's, that's it. Yeah, they will have solar panels um, which will power the lights. Um, and I, I feel like Sorry. <laughs> I think, and I'll just share that it's, that was from a grant that our office partnered with the director of transportation for the city on for one of the COVID related um, grants for around transportation is how we're actually getting those um, 
not that the MBTA just decided to put them in. <laughs> oh. Another success has been that the MBTA backed off from cutting our bus service, right? So that was a pretty important. Uh... Some, but not all. As far as I know, the 325 and the 326 are still, at last I heard. Possible things have been restored that I didn't even catch up with. Um, did they restore those too? You know, I don't have the details. I just saw the headlines that they were backing off. On a lot of the cuts. On yeah. a lot of the cuts, including commuter rail schedule. So we still have public transportation in Medford. Yeah. Sorry, right. go on, Bob. Yeah, that's right. No, no, thanks for that interruption anytime. Um, I'm going to see if I can contact the MAPC. Uh, I don't know if anyone has any good contacts to see if they would offer a presentation on the traffic-related uh, study. Uh, and or we can in integrate it into a, maybe a fall presentation of what we, we, well, we, we sort of promoted the Tufts Energy Conference. Uh, and we're looking to see if there's any other um, presentations that could be offered. I haven't found any. Uh, so I'm going to basically say we're going to wait till the fall to do our reprisal of the November uh, session, we did a webinar session with the cooperation of the Tufts Energy Group um, to um, do a, like a up to two hour um, forum before Thanksgiving. Um, unless uh, a member, another, any other members of the subcommittee have any other input on that. Okay. Um, now I got, in terms of new business, I got this, I don't know if you can see this, no, you can't see it, the rain barrel program. So maybe Alicia, you could talk about that. Yay, we're selling rain barrels again. <laughs> um, I actually got an update a week or two ago from the rain barrel program. They were like, hey, you've already sold 65 rain barrels in Medford, good job. Um, and that was before this flyer showed up in everybody's water bills today. Um, that flyer yeah. usually uh, inspires a lot of rain barrel purchases in the city of Medford. Um, the way it works, it's a public-private partnership, they're the Great American Rain Barrel. They actually, they're very green. They, in, they are an arm of an olive importing business and an Italian, uh, other Italian food stuffs importing business. And the woman who started the rain bell portion said, this is crazy. We have nothing to do with all these barrels once we take the olives out of them. And it's huge. They have a huge importing business and they just didn't know what to do. And she was like, we could make rain barrels. So they do this and they repurpose these olive barrels. They clean them all up. They drill the holes in them. They got get the parts and then they sell them. And you can buy them from the Great American Rain Barrel on your own for like $110 plus shipping because that's really not their market. What they do is they partner with municipalities. And so you go to their website and you select community and you select Medford and then you get Medford's pricing um, and you see the date and time. And so the day that is delivery date in Medford, a giant 18 wheeler shows up and unloads pallets and pallets of rain barrels. And then the first year or two, their staff stayed there 
and had the list of who had purchased them. And we worked with them to distribute them. Um, and then they said to us, if you provide the staffing to distribute them, we'll knock off $5 a barrel for everybody in Medford. And they said, because you're such a good customer and you have such great, um, such high volume, we'll knock another $5 a barrel off. So if you poke around some communities, actually pay more than we do in Medford. And it's not because the city subsidizes it other than with a little staff labor the day of. Um, and it's usually staff from my office and they enjoy handing them out and we never have enough people to really help. So people are invited. Bob, would you read off of that? What is the deadline for ordering and what is the day and time of the distribution? April 21 is the deadline. So what day of the week is that? Well, that has to be a and Wednesday because April 28th is the day they hand them out. Yeah. Mm. So the plan is April 28th. Thank you, Bob. Um, the Wednesday evening, I think it says four to six, four to seven. Five to seven, it says here on the flyer. Five to seven. So we'll be looking for volunteers from like four to seven or three to seven to help line them all up. And then we need people to like check people off and then load them into cars. Um, so it's always nice to have um, a bunch of people to help with that the day of. So, and it's, it's kind of easy for us because we don't actually ever deal with any money. She gives us a, a list of who has prepaid. So it's everything is prepaid. This will be like the eighth year or something we're doing it. Fun. Sounds great. I have one other little update for you that I should have thought of early on. The solar on the police station is live. And if I might do this, I'm going to share my screen for a second. Um, it came on. So this is the public interface. It's not beautiful, but it came with the system. And so I can share you all this URL. And so you can see this was the March production. It came on March 24th. And then you can look at April. And you can see today was cloudy. You can see how it's doing on a daily basis. And it's, a, honestly, I'm not sure if it's 10 or 20% of the building's electricity will be produced by the solar. And one of the things that's really exciting about this for us is that it, um, uh, as part of the construction, it was an ad alternate. And so this is today's. I know people like looking at the days. Um, it was an ad alternate. And the price for the solar, the building itself came in under budget and the price was not high. So we own this outright, 100% outright. Um, and you guys will be happy to know, uh, the mayor, the police chief may not be so thrilled, um, but because of the size of the, the array, it's 60 kilowatts, it's considered private, not public, and we are not able to get net metering for it, which means we are also at this point not in the um, SMART program. So right now we're not getting SMART payments. I think we will eventually, um, but we're not, as at the moment, we're not selling the SREX on it. Um, we probably will. And then we'll have to decide whether it makes sense to buy them back as part of it, because in the SMART program, you get a lot of money, way more than what the RECs are worth on the open market, um, and because it's part of the state subsidy, but you have to include the, the RECs with it. Um, and for those of you who haven't heard, hopefully everybody in the city has heard, the library has enough solar on it to be net zero. 
um, we'll be producing all of it on site and we own the entire array. Neither one is a power purchase agreement. So anyhow, thought you'd all be excited. The library, the library uh, array. Off the top of my head, I'm going to say 250 kilowatts, but I wow. will, okay. I should honestly have that pretty, oh, I know what spreadsheet I have that in. Um, so the one on the police station can presumably, if it generates more than it needs, it can, it, it, it goes back to the grid it goes onto the grid and we get wholesale for it which is like four cents a kilowatt hour it's not a lot but since we produce it all we own it all it's um it's all income for us anyhow even though it's a very small income um but it does it is a 24 by 7 building um so i would be surprised if it's really ever producing more than they're using at any given time. I'm so just flipping through some of the previous days. Those are pretty darn even days. Those were beautiful sunny days, weren't they? Yeah. They're not that you can see. Well, I, I honestly started to wonder if this was smooth, if this was like smooth unnaturally, like if the system did that. But by going back to a, a cloudy and sunny day, I can see that actually now we just had some really beautiful days saturday and sunday with not a cloud huh not a cloud the sky. that's right um, i can give you the size of those arrays in one minute i have a spreadsheet we at this point i have a spreadsheet of all the solar projects that the city owns and what state they are in and all their permitting processes and their dates and the library oh that was good 216 kilowatts array on the library. Um, the police station is 60 kilowatts. We own both of those outright. For reference, DPW is 180 kilowatts, but it's a power purchase agreement, so we don't own it outright. Okay, so I, I invite people that have uh, agenda items for next month's meeting, which will be May 3rd, Monday, May 3rd, to let me know. Um, is there any other new business that people wanted to bring up? Uh, welcome uh, new and prospective members of the subcommittee. Maybe we'll get more permanent, you know, official members by May. I had two quick questions. Um, Yes, sure. so the first one was if there were any updates on the composting uh, program. Um, and then the second one was um, uh, for the uh, transportation management uh, subcommittee, whether there was um, some work being done on active transportation and in particular some collaboration with the Bicycle Commission uh, that Medford has as well. Um, that's it. Thank you. Um, so the composting, it went out to bid. And we have been reviewing the proposals and we're actually supposed to, we have a committee that has somebody from the DPW, somebody from the Board of Health, and actually Amanda and myself working on the composting project. Wait, I'm forgetting somebody, Amanda. Oh, and our Director of Communications. And um, so we've 
all reviewed the proposals individually, and we're going to be meeting in the next day or two to then um, review them and make some recommendations to the mayor on what we think the city should do with that pro program. And just so everybody's clear, it will be a program where people subscribe on their own and pay for it, but we'll have like recommended, perhaps a municipal discount. Um, the Board of Health really wants to have a say in what containers, like the biggest concern we hear from residents is around rats. And the Board of Health has actually come back and said, with proper containers, commercial composting is better than uh, backyard composting, and it is better than just regular trash cans for waste issues and rats. Um, so that's why we have somebody from the Board of Health on it. Um, I'm hoping in the next week or two, definitely during April, that we'll be rolling out like an announcement and stuff for that one. Um, somebody else wants to take the transportation questions. Hey, Martha, you've uh, been... Is Martha still here? Oh, she had to leave. She had to um, leave. She's talking to Walk Medford, which is a, one of the groups. I, I, I should probably converse more with the Bicycle Commission on their um, initiatives. Uh, so I will make a point to do that. Uh, there is a Bicycle Commission. Uh, it's very active. I went to one of the meetings once, so uh, it's a good point. Uh, so thanks for reminding me of that, Gaston. So I'm, I'm happy to help. I didn't mean to. Um, so I, I was just yeah, uh, wondering. Uh, when you're on the, when you're uh, an official member, we'll maybe put you on that subcommittee if you want to. Yeah, or, yeah, I, I would be happy to. But even as a regular um, for resident, I would be happy to contribute as well. Whatever I can do, uh, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. I, I just want, as a, as a newcomer, how impressed I am with the scope of um, environmentally friendly work that's going on, and um, how uh, how informative hearing from you all is. Um, so I just want to say that I'm very impressed. Thank you. I appreciate the work you're doing. I really need somebody to write this stuff up into a newsletter. We did a monthly newsletter for a while, and I had a grad, an intern who was really on that. But I've got people like Amanda and Nana working so hard on everything else that we've been having trouble getting enough, getting the message out about everything we're doing. So if anybody wants to help us with that, we have a new, not MailChimp, what's it called? Constant contact, but you didn't come through. Constant contact account and that we are just trying to get set up to send out information about these things. So. All right, we have reached a two-hour limit, so I'm going to entertain a motion to adjourn. So I motion to adjourn. Okay, thank you for your first official act. I will second the motion, and I, I will, uh, I'm not hearing any objections, so I'm going to say we are adjourned, and thank you for all coming. We did make quorum. See Thanks, Bob. Nice to meet you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Amanda. I'm just going to clean up a little bit in the minutes, too, a little as we wrap up. So your mic's not working. Can't hear you.
strange. Now I can hear you. Oh, good. Well, I'll make sure that that's fixed for tomorrow then. <laughs> happens to people all the time. But great. Thank you very much. Great. Have a good night.